This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 364 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Total Saddlefit, Kentucky Performance Products, Dr. Rose's Remedies, and EcoVet. Today we have a great nutrition tip from Kentucky Performance Products. Hillary from Dressage Today talks about time management, and we are starting a new segment focusing on dressage tests from the judge's perspective. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Hi Phil. Reese. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you this week? I'm tired. <laughs> it is getting to be that time <laughs> of the year, isn't it? We're training a lot of horses all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoa. Yeah, it is. It is it is getting to be that time of year. We have a horse show. Our local show is here next week, and then we have one week off and then another big local show. So it is in the end. There's a, yeah, we're in the listen, thick of listen things Listen to this. Now. I, want to gar- I want to garner some sympathy from all my southern mm, friends. At a horse show this last Sunday where I was, you know, warming people up outside and it was snowing on me. Uh, you know. Snowing yeah. like real snow. Like flakes. Like real snow. You know, it was so cold here on Saturday. Um, <sighs> there was a, a couple local shows. <laughs> okay, actually, and I, I didn't go. It wasn't. It was. A, it wasn't a big surprise, but uh, mm. um, that's May. You know where we're at. That's here. why you're Canadian. There's no snow and on the I'm, ground, and actually, we've had a beautiful last couple of days. But oh, I don't know why. we have not. It, oh, I. <laughs> you know, it was so cold here last week. I felt so bad for everybody. I really did. I thought, oh my god, I don't know how they are doing that. So yeah, uh, yeah. Turned out to be good. actually, it turned out to be a good show. Everybody did a a really good job. So awesome. About that too much. Oh, you know? that's so good. That's yeah, fantastic. I, I I'm just really excited that you know. Get back into it. Get the party it's my started, favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, I love it. No, it's fun. It's fun to get get going and get started. It, you know, it, we have a weird sense of it because, um, you know, I've already shown yeah, yeah. quite a bit this Super year, and that. so I'm kind of actually enjoying a little bit of downtime, which is weird. But we're about ready to. <laughs> I've been this, chomping at the bit. As this, you've been chomping at <laughs> the bit, and we're get like, out and get going and get all the yeah. people going. And, <laughs> well, and, I hope uh, everyone you know, is. Doing well and preparing. I hope uh, some of the some of the things we're going to talk about on the show, I, I think, are going to be really beneficial to um, helping Hillary segment this uh, this month. I think everyone will really enjoy. Uh, it's really focused on kind of five tips to really help you at the horse show. Um, so I, I think it'll be great. And uh, Phil, you came up with an awesome idea. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. So I think over the next few weeks or a few shows, we're going to um, try and go through all the levels of the, of, uh, I guess it's the United States. We, we also use the United States uh, dressage tests. Um, you know, look at the, the directives and we're going to be talking to a few different judges about, uh, about the levels and about the most common mistakes that they see riders make at those levels. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, help people, um, even if they don't show these specific tests, I think, you know, every, uh, everybody's got, uh, you know, sort of, uh, same sort of system of, of, of classes and tests. So 
um, yeah, we're going to go, you know, thinking yeah. over the summer about, about competition a little bit more than training and, uh, and see if we can come up with some things that are going to help people improve their scores, basically. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. So that's going to be the segment. We're going to go pretty much go all the way through the levels. So I hope everybody is going to enjoy this. Um, and if you have any questions for the judges, uh, we're going to go this week. We're going to start with intro and training level, and we'll go right on up. So I uh, hope you enjoy this new segment. Uh, way to go, Phil. Good good start. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Phil, right after this commercial break, we're going to come back with our favorite, 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 favorite guest of um, the month, Hillary Moore Hebert. And she's going to talk about um, five things to, uh, that you can improve at your horse show, especially in regards to time management. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your horse could enjoy a zone of repellency from pesky flies? Well, he can with EcoVet. EcoVet is an entirely new type of fly repellent that is safe for horses and those applying it offering a real alternative to toxic pesticides like pyrethrins. EcoVet confuses an insect's normal directional ability, the bug's GPS, if you will. So if it can't locate your horse, it can't bite your horse. Dr. Wendy Ying from the Driving Radio Show has been using it in South Florida, also known as the Jurassic Park of biting insects, and she just loves it. EcoVet's active ingredients are naturally occurring food-grade fatty acids, that have been clinically shown to improve the condition of horses with difficult-to-treat sweet itch problems. EcoVet is effective on mosquitoes, ticks, noceums, as well as flies. You can visit EcoVet online at eco-vet.com for more information or to order. You can find EcoVet at Dover Saddlery Stores and EcoVets on Facebook. Just search EcoVet, E-C-O-V-E-T. Well, we are all so excited for our favorite segment of the month. Hillary Moore Hebert, our contributing editor from Dressage Today, is on. Hillary, welcome. Hi, guys. How are you this month? I'm doing very well. And actually, I'm calling in with you guys. Um, I'm headed off to a show with an FBI horse that I am very fortunate to be riding right now. Um, but we are a couple weeks out now from the first show we went to. And I thought it was interesting um, for all of your listeners that um, this is the first year that I had a baby in tow. Yes. Um, and so I learned some things that I think will relate to anyone, actually, whether or not you have children or whether or not you show. Um, there's a couple things that I learned. Um, and so here are my tips that I have. I have five tips. Nice. So the, Love it. The first tip that I learned when you have a child with you is you have to pre-schedule. And I think that especially at home, I don't know if you guys are guilty of this, but it's very easy to go to the barn. And I saw a cartoon the other day joking that now that the change in daylight has come, people have a tendency to stay to the barn, you know, until now. And I think we think that there's a lot to do there because we can always come up with things to do. But really, you can become very efficient in your riding. And the reason that it's important is because you can get into a place where you dilly-dally, so to speak, and you're talking with your barn mates or you're at the show and you think you have all this time, but you're not using as much time as you should. And I think most of us are guilty of this 
thinking about and executing the ride properly. So for example, you get to the point where you suddenly realize you only have an hour left or you have half an hour in your warm up left and you're panicked and you haven't even thought about how you're going to approach the ride. You kind of rush through the warm up and you're doing everything to make sure you're done by a certain time as opposed to scheduling so that the most important part of everything is planning and executing the ride. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I, I have to be honest, I had to learn to do that when I became a trainer or when I had multiple people going to a horse show. Cause I, I, you know, for the longest time it was my sister and my mom and I, and my sister and I usually rode similar times and there's similar classes. And the next thing I know, like I've got to do that. And then I've got students and, or people that I'm helping or whatever. And, uh, you know, I got really kind of you know, I, I figured out how much I was actually dallying at the horse show versus now I have to, I have a pretty schedule, you know, it has to, you know, I have to be here at this time and here at this time, but I think it's always a good thing to remember and horses are supposed to be fun and I think it's good, but I have a rule myself personally that one hour before I'm on whatever horse I'm showing, I'm not available because that mm-hmm. is my time that I need to make sure that you know, and, and every trainer is different and every rider is different, but one hour before I need to make sure that I'm back at the barn and that I'm doing what I need to do to get ready, mentally preparing, uh, maybe eating, you know, just certain things where you really take the time. I, I don't know about you, Phil, what do you, what do you do? I carry a little piece of paper that tells me where I'm supposed to be yeah. at what exact time. And then, um, <laughs> Even though you think you can memorize that sort of stuff, I no. find myself always sort of looking at that little piece of paper, you know, because mm-hmm. whether I'm showing myself or um, even just the day at the barn, you have to, you know, get things going, right? You know, right. Uh, being efficient, like Hillary said. I mean, you can spend all your time sort of, you know, tacking up, you know, making sure the horse is super brushed or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you 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 didn't schedule to have a full ride. So. Right. I, um, mm-hmm. I think whether you know whether I'm just at the barn or whether I'm at a show, I have to say, okay, um, tacking up takes 15 minutes, or you know, like, and it cannot take longer than 15 minutes, and I can't just go and you know have a coffee. You know, some days I do, but um, you know, at this point in the year, it goes from you know, whereas you know, pretty busy in the winter, but then it goes from pretty busy to you have to get things done. You know, yeah, I've got you know lessons to start at three in the afternoon. You know, those people, you know, um, our priority, the riding has to get done. I can't, you know, be halfway done riding a horse and then somebody shows up or or I've got a lesson to do. And that's not fair to other people who have scheduled to come or to have me at their place or whatever. So I think that's part of um, being, like you said, being a professional. But I think it can help people even if you're uh, even if you're just a casual rider or an amateur rider or whatever, you know, schedule the time to be riding. Mm-hmm. And then if you have extra time afterwards, whatever you can do, whatever you want, talk, chat, whatever. But if you if you don't think about it and just say, okay, I got a ride here, then like Hillary said, you're just not going to get your ride in, or you're not going to get a full ride in, or you're not going to get what you actually needed to accomplish done for the day. So um, think about prioritizing prioritizing things, and then if you have free time, go ahead do whatever you want. But um, or your instructor can hear you chatting with your barn mates. And knows that you're going to be late for your lesson, <laughs> which my think. students are guilty of quite yeah. a bit, and I'm always on their case about it. 
Well, um, this is for every every student. I mean, we all sometimes we can be late, and 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 we as instructors, because you have three of them on right now. You know, sometimes we understand. You know, you're at an appointment or something; it runs later, whatever. But you know, and and I'm with Phil and and Hillary. I'm sure you're the same. This time of year, we are literally slammed. So it's like if you're late. I, I actually just had someone late. I had a five to six o'clock lesson and we had to be on the air at six. And it's like, I'm sorry, I have to be off at literally at two minutes till six o'clock. I'm out of the arena. Yeah. And if you're late, not my, you know, I'm sorry, but you're going to, you know, so, and, and, and again, we, it happens and we all know that, but it, you know, certainly chatting with your barn mate is going to, you know, make me go insane. Well, I'm just going to charge you. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's, you know, it's yeah, like, I'm going to But again, you. if you're having a lesson, I want you to get it. Everybody wants to get yeah. you learning things and doing things and, you know, spending the entire lesson because you're a bit late just doing a warm up and then you're finally, we're finally ready to get something done. I feel like, um, you know, you've yeah. sort of wasted your own time and, and my time with you. And it's, it's yeah. not that I'm really mad that you're super late. I'm just mad that we want to get stuff done. Right. And, uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, we're all motivated like by that. I like it. And having a baby um, is, is even harder. And, and uh, Hillary, as you know, Dr. Anna, who comes on the show, she also just had a baby. So it is a huge event for her just to come for a lesson. Like it is a team effort to get her here to ride. Mm-hmm. It is hard when you have a little one or children. So, uh, you know, I, I wow, I, I really hats off to all the moms out there and dads because it is very hard. So. Yeah. So what's tip number two? Okay. So tip number two is actually, we touched on a little bit. How is it that you plan accordingly so that you aren't late? There's two ways that I do it because now having a child, I double the time I assume it takes for everything important to do. So if I think I can tack up a horse in 15 minutes, I set aside half an hour. If I think it takes 45 minutes to drive to the show, I assume it takes an hour and a half. I set aside double the amount of time so that if something goes wrong, for example, you run out of, um, you know, oil or something and your car breaks down on the side of the road, you have time for someone to pick you up. Um, you have something where your boot breaks, you have the time to get that fixed before you get on. Uh, always double the amount of time it takes to do something that's important so that you have enough time and you're not rushed. I love it. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Just budgeting the right amount of time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have this trouble with driving distances. Because, yeah. Okay, I say, yeah, it takes me an hour and fifteen minutes to get here or there, and then, and then I'm surprised that it doesn't. But it, you know, I always budget like, oh, on a good day, then it takes me an hour and fifteen. On a bad day, it or or just uh, you know, something little happens. Yeah, and then then I'm behind. So um, I've got to take that one, that tip to heart a little bit. Me too. Say, I have to take that one to heart too. That's hard. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah, because more times often than not that it actually just takes just you know even if it's ten minutes longer, I should be budgeting a little extra time. So, thanks for that I one, like Hillary. That. Yeah, I like that one. How about number three? So, once you have your schedule, then pack according to the day. So what I do is I lay out everything that I need and I go through everything that I do for the day and I check off that I have everything I need based on what I imagine is happening. And this is really helpful because you get to the point where I do this all the time. I will do something like I go to the horse show from the hotel and I have a habit of putting on my show clothes before I go. And then that way I have less to worry about except for 
like one time out of 10, I forget to bring anything else. And it's like a thousand degrees out. And I am then stuck in my show clothes until I get back to the hotel versus being able to change into like a loose pair of pants and like a comfortable shirt. So if you go through your whole day, once you set the schedule out, you can sort of say, okay, what happens after my ride? Am I going to need something that's warmer because I'll be cold or, you know, vice versa? Um, will I want to make sure that I have a different pair of shoes? What is it that I need when I'm riding in terms of my pack and my apparel so that you make sure that you have everything? And I think that that's really helpful because it can get down to the point of saying, okay, you know, when we go out to dinner, I might want to have a jacket and uh, you have everything packed either in your truck or trailer or in your car. Um, so again, you just are more efficient because you're also physically more comfortable and you're mentally more focused on more important things. And you're not nervous. I mean, the worst yeah. thing is if somebody's like, where's my stock tie? And then no. everyone's running around or, or whatever it is. Like, I mean, or my, where are my riding pants? Uh, okay. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. you know, somebody's trying to get ready and they're looking for their pants and you're like, are you, uh, what, huh? What is happening? And, and so that... It, I just think it really helps your nerves if everything's laid out, but I'm, I'm, uh, Hey, I'm, I, I'm a little OCD on that one. I lay them out the night before. Yeah. I have to do so. it the night before because otherwise yeah. I can't, I can't mm. sleep. Me. I'm a if little I don't weird. Know like that. I've sort of done everything, done exactly what Hillary said. And, and the, the trouble is, is that sometimes, uh, I mean, I'm very fortunate and Reese is too, that we're very close to the horse shows and yes. I can go home. But if I need to, when I go home, I'm tired. I'm like, I don't really want to think about what's going on, you know, and the next day, especially after, you know, two days of a show or three days of a show and I've got to go to the last day. I mean, I have to come home, put everything that needs to go in the wash or, or whatever and pack for my next day. Otherwise, um, I don't sleep well or, or, you know, and then if you don't get enough sleep, then you're not feeling good at the show and it just starts to compound the problems. And I think, yeah, yeah definitely. Pack, pack not only what you need for the show, but like Hillary said, pack what you need for the day. Yeah. Always throw a jacket in. That's what I've learned in Kentucky. <laughs> and Canada, always throw a winter jacket in. <laughs> yeah. And your snow boots and hat. <laughs> <laughs> and your toque. Yeah. <laughs> and your toque. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. No, I think those, those are, that's a really, really good tip too. It's just be really organized and really prepared and you're going to be in really good shape. No, I love it. Hillary, what's our last tip? So I was going to tell you beforehand, true story, when I was a young rider, I actually was more paranoid than you guys, and I used to sleep in my britches. Wow. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> That's intense. Yeah. Well, wow. I was so paranoid that I would forget. I've now eased into wearing my show clothes. I just put it on in the morning, so it's one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Um, but I used to do oh, it ahead of time. Idea. But I think, <laughs> you know, that ties us in. Um, I have two more tips, but they're really quick. That ties us in actually to my fourth tip is to do things ahead of time whenever possible. If your horse is comfortable being braided, do it the night before. Put your show clothes on at the hotel. Uh, do anything you can beforehand, because if you get to the point where you realize you're running late or you're nervous or whatever, the fewer things you have to worry about as you get closer to your ride time, the better. Mm -hmm. Agreed. No, it's so true. Agreed. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. That's a huge deal. And, um, you know, and, and we haven't talked about it, but it's it's so funny because I, I am a firm believer if you can have somebody with you have someone with you. It just makes mm -hmm. it more fun, number one. But number two, it really brings down your nerves. And it's not always happening. And you can't always get to your um, 
you know, get there. But it was really funny because uh, my assistant Ashley and I have been showing, as you guys know, quite often in Florida already. So we, we already have sort of our show routine going on. And uh, she showed last weekend and it was I didn't go up the night before she went up. It was in Cincinnati. So not super far, but it was far enough. And of course, she rode at 803. So I like literally said, I will meet you in the warm up. Well, she really struggled because I wasn't there. And and I had been there. I felt terrible. Then I was like, gosh, I'm the worst friend slash trainer ever. Um, but she didn't plan enough time. She planned enough time mm-hmm. like we had planned in Florida but there were two of us. And so it was a big difference. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the warm up, she was like slightly in a panic. And I was like, what is going on? And, you know, we kind of, when we did our, our show recap, we talked about it. It was like, okay, well, I wasn't there. So, and she, she had, she had someone with her, but that person wasn't really a horse person. So, you know, I think that that's important that if, if there is a change, again, plan for a little bit more time so that you're not getting to the warm up late and getting all flustered. And, yeah. and, and I think that on. also brings up a good point about what the role of your coach is at the show. Right. 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 You know, um, I think there's a lot of awesome coaches out there who will lend a hand if necessary. Like you said, you were helping her out a little bit, but in most cases, that's not really no. our job. You know, no. and and like you just said, I I try and say to to my people, okay, you get to the warm up mm-hmm. with uh, as much time as you think you need, and we'll warm up. Right. But I, you know, uh, especially because I teach quite a few people at the same show, and maybe I'm showing myself. You know, I can promise to be at the warm up, but if you're not there, right? You know, or you forgot you. your whip, or what? You know, whatever. You know, that's what I said. Bring somebody who you know isn't your coach. I mean, I had an awesome mom, and 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 so did you, Reese, and mm-hmm. you know who would be that person that we could sort of lean on or say, oh, I need this, or where's my fly spray, and you know to go mm-hmm. get it or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's uh, a I coach is there to coach. Fair, I think that's that's a good point. But I think also in the same respect, making sure that for uh, people less experienced, don't be afraid to ask your coach for some extra help um, so that if it's new to you, that they can help you. But that's even more reason, as you just said, that if you're more seasoned, that you don't expect that help because your coaches have to focus that effort on people who are new to doing this. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, or, or yeah. you know, have a discussion before the show day, to, yeah. you know, to just run through the plan and say, okay, you need to do this there and this there and this there. And oh, yeah. if if you don't, if you don't know, like if you run through the plan and everything sounds good, that's great, and you can get to the warm up. But if you know, but if you don't, just have this discussion or or help your coach to plan their time if they need to spend a little extra time with you, then it's just going to be a, a disaster, I think. So. Oh yeah, no, I think I think that's a great point, and I think that you know, for example, I have an assistant, um, and so I will send her. I mean, that's her job at the horse show is to make sure sort of everybody gets where they need to get to on time. Or if I don't have an assistant, I'll bring in a student or someone that will sort of help. That that's their job, uh, and that's if we go with a big group, and you know what I mean. Like that's that's yeah. pretty pretty yeah. common. But you know, like for example, my assistant is essentially a trainer herself and rides Grand Prix, so. You know, I, there are times where I'm going to be like, I'm going to meet you in the warm up. Um, so I think you need to have that relationship with your coach. It's super important. Um, yeah, let you know, them know what you need afraid. to yeah. uh, what uh, you support, need? What right? Is, 
Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and again, I like that in advance, just do it in advance. So everybody knows what everybody's doing. We have a board, same thing, like everybody knows. And that's if, you know, it, again, it depends on who you go with and how many people, you know, uh, in Florida, it was just Ashley and I. So we got in an awesome routine. Now that we're back home, you know, the next show we take like seven, eight horses and, um, that becomes a whole different sort of ball of wax. So, yeah. You know, it just depends. But again, don't be afraid to ask for help. And, you know, it, it sounds like all, all of us, we're pretty organized. We have to be organized when we go to the show or it just doesn't run well. So, you know, that's the time ahead of time. If you don't know or you don't, just ask. And, and hopefully your group and, and your team is, is happy to help you and, and be a part of it. So, yeah. Love it. Hillary, how about your last one? Okay. So my last tip, I I hate to say this, but I have to say this. Because for some people, it means that you have to spend money. But having been pregnant, I've actually run through three pairs of tall boots. I've gone down about six camp sizes. And um, the difference in equipment fit is everything. And I had forgotten that because I'm at a place now where, you know, I have my boots are custom made and I sort of ride in them so often they're broken in perfectly and you know, I have my saddle and everything sit by the zipper and everything. But because I was changing size and fitness so quickly, I couldn't really easily catch up. And so I had a pair of tall boots that, you know, were very loose in the calf at one point before I fit into my old ones. Um, and so my britches were kind of fitting a little bit wrong. My boots were fitting a little bit wrong. My saddle couldn't be fitting exactly because I just was changing size in literally every inch of, you know, from my seat down to my toes. Um, and it really did not help my riding as much as good fitting equipment did. As soon as I had a pair of boots that actually like were attached to my calf, I suddenly felt the horse on my side. I was able to sit the trot better um, you know, just everything worked better. And so it's something where I hate to say it, but, you know, I really am paying attention to that because having the right equipment, I, to me, I feel like I'm riding another 10, 15 percentage points better when I'm doing a test or the equivalent at home when everything is right. Yeah, no, I think that that's really a good point. And I think this is still kind of early in the show season. And I think it's important to put everything on <laughs> before you get to the horse show. So if you have gained a little bit or you lost a little bit or whatever it is, you want to feel good in what you're doing. And, you know, thankfully, mm -hmm. there are enough sales and deals online that you can kind of, if you need to buy a new coat, get a new coat, you know, be, but feel comfortable. It's sort of like everything, you know, it's if you have, you're going to an, a, to an event and you have a, a dress you really love or when you're getting married and you have a beautiful dress, you feel great. And I think that there's a really good point to that. And you need to feel comfortable in what you're wearing and you need to feel proud and you need to, you know, if it doesn't fit right or it's tight or you're uncomfortable, it doesn't work. Um, and I think it's super important to throw those pants, your, your, you know, when they wear your white pants a couple times a year, throw them on, make sure they fit, make sure that that everything's okay. Um, you know, for me, I hadn't, I hadn't worn a shad belly before in Florida for a while. Um, that's the other thing. If you are going to the FEI levels and you have a young horse or a new horse, throw your shad belly on at home and ride oh, around sure a couple of times. The tails. Yeah. Yep, that's a big that's a deal. Good one. 
you know, those are, those are really important things. It's super fun. We always take pictures when we get that ride. Uh, but no, I think that that's actually a very good thing. And, and that's the other thing. Just make sure you have everything, you know, like at the end of the mm-hmm. year, usually my hair nets are nasty. So I throw them away or, or, you know, whatever. Make sure at the beginning of the year, the first horse show of the year is always a mess because you're like, where are my gloves? Oh my God. You know, and they're like, oh, I threw those away last year or whatever, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, that you yeah. have everything you need to have and you're ready to rock and roll. So I love it. Phil, Great. anything to add on the no, clothes I think that's fitting? that's super tips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like your that boots, I think. That's the one thing I did want to highlight. If you, and whenever you ride in a sport, especially ride in every day, but if you're showing in, if you can't feel your feet or your boots feel tight or uncomfortable, please, for the love of cookies, get a different <laughs> pair or fix it because that is just such a disaster. I feel so bad that people do that because you are throwing away your time and money. I mean, yeah. you you guys, I'm sure you've seen that a million times where people talk about how their show boots or their home boots, they can't feel their calves. They're like dying to get them off. Don't do that. It's not going to make your ride fun or effective. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's not, not worth, worth it. it. Step it up or get them stretched or whatever. Yeah, you can, no, yeah, you so can get them stretched. Get some zippers yeah. put in or, yeah. Something. I love something. it. Yeah. Well, Hillary, as always, thank you so much for the great tips. How do our listeners find you online? They can check us out, and actually, there's a lot of tips um, related to that. If you guys have the five tips that I said, there, if you do a search by keyword on dressagefit.com, you can find a lot of articles that complement that and help you with that planning. Um, you can also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. Awesome. Well, we can't look. We're looking forward to next month and hearing how the horse shows go. Yep. Great. Dr. Rose's Remedies Skin Treatment Salve and Spray are 100% all-natural products. They are anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antiviral, and antifungal. Dr. Rose's are made with all human-grade ingredients and are safe and effective for treatment for all manner of cuts and scrapes on your horse. And Dr. Rose's is the must-have product here at the Horse Radio Network headquarters to keep PT Scooter's delicate white pasterns free from dew poisoning and scratches. Ask for Dr. Rose's at your local tax store or feed supplier or visit them online at drrosesremedies.com. That's drrosesremedies.com. Well, Phil, this is also another favorite segment of ours. Karen Isberg, president and queen of Kentucky Performance Products, is going to come on and talk to us a little bit about uh, how to deal with weight management, especially with wonderful spring grass. So I hope you enjoy. Well, I am so happy for our month's supplement tip to have KPP's president and queen, Karen Isberg, on. Karen, welcome to the show tonight. Thank you. It's really good to be here. We always love having you. And, you know, this month, I love the topic because we are currently having a fat kid issue here at Maplecrest Farm. And I know a lot of people are having the issue. The grass is so good. We're getting so much rain and the grass is so rich and so delicious right now. And, you know, we're having to cut back on feed, but we're having some issues everybody's having this sort of fat kid issue right now. So help us with this issue for our supplement, our KPP supplement tip of the month. 
Okay. Well, you know, I've gotten a lot, I get a lot of phone calls in the spring about this particular topic. And um, what a lot of people don't realize is that you have to feed a minimum amount of your concentrate. So when the manufacturer formulates the feed, they formulate to be fed at a certain amount. And if you feed less than that, then your horse is not getting the nutrients you think he's getting. And it's mostly vitamins and minerals where they suffer. So Karen, let me ask you just a basic question. How do you know what the minimum amount of feed is? Like how do you know that number? And and that and that sometimes you have to do quite a bit of investigation, and you even might have to do some math, which most okay. people run into tonight. When oh they God, hear I'm math. Out. Or you can call yep. Karen, which is what I do. Yeah, you <laughs> can look surreal. at the at the bag or the tag, and it's a requirement that feeding directions be on the bag, the feed bag, or on the, the feed tag. So you look on it and you see what they recommend for feeding directions. Now, I went and jotted a, a few down that I found. Um, one feed, they recommend you feed 5 to 15 pounds, depending Whoa. on your horse's needs. So that's a, that's, you know, that's a pretty large range, but the minimum but is the five. But the minimum is 5 pounds. Oh, yeah. I don't have anybody so if you're not that. feeding 5 lot. pounds, then yeah. you're not feeding enough vitamins and minerals to meet your horse's requirements. Um, another formula that I found was for one of those light feeds. And it was listed as one to two pounds per 500 pounds of body weight. Oh, so, so for this one, you have to do math. You have to know how much your horse weighs. You have to divide that by 500. And then you have to multiply one to two pounds times that amount. So if you have a thousand pound horse, then 500 goes into that twice. So the minimum is two pounds. Yeah. If you have a 1400 pound horse, the minimum is 2.8 pounds. So it's important that you find out what the minimum is and that you feed to that minimum. So one other quick basic question too. If you need to know, you know, your horse's weight, give or take, are you okay with using the weight tape? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you have no other choice, then a weight tape will get you in a close approximation. Okay. And you can get those pretty much anywhere, right? I mean, anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also look online. And there are, they just kind of search, figuring out your horse's weight, and they'll give you options of using just um, just a regular um, tape that you would use for, you know, when, what do you call it? One of those light tapes that you use when you make clothes. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you measuring put, tape. Or, yeah. 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 Well, measuring tape. And you can put that around your horse and it will give you the, uh, the formula so that you can use that. So you don't even oh, have cool. to have a real weight tape to do it. You can do it the other way. But it's much better to do that than guess because most people will guess either that their horse is way too light or way too heavy. So yeah, measuring it sure. somehow is a good, good idea. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So now what's, so, okay, our horse isn't meeting the minimal requirement. What do we do now? Well, at that point, you need to find um, a vitamin and mineral supplement. And Kentucky Performance Products has one called Microphase, and it was it was developed for just this purpose. It was developed for horses that were eating less than the recommended amount of concentrate or horses that were subsisting solely on pasture or solely on hay because, you know, there's, there's nutrients missing when, you de- when you're feeding a single feedstuff like that. So in that, this product, you feed anywhere from two ounces to four ounces, depending on your horse's needs. 
and you feed it once a day. And it's um, it's a base, an alfalfa-based pellet that has all the vitamins and minerals that are missing. And you give that to your horse, and you've met his requirements. And it's real palatable, and it's easy to feed. So oh, that's that that's is- pretty awesome because then you can, if you decide that your the best bet is just to take him off of grain altogether, then uh, he can still get his vitamins and minerals. Uh, you know, without adding any extra stuff that maybe he doesn't need. Absolutely. So you're not, you're not, you don't have to give them those extra calories if you don't want to. And then you can vary it. So if you're feeding just below the recommended amount, you can feed two ounces. If you take grain away completely, you can feed four ounces. So there's some flexibility there. Now, let me ask you this, Karen, like, so what about energy? Like sometimes, you know, if your horse is fat, they're eating, you know, we have, we can't even keep the grass cut here. It's been so wet. Like, <laughs> so the grass is like to the horse's bellies when they go out, you know, and you need the energy. So you don't want to take them off the cut. Like how, how do you balance that? If your horse is super fat, you can't feed them a lot, but they also are working and they need energy. So what do you do on that? Well, typically, I mean... Typically, energy, if your horse is overweight, then he's getting enough energy or enough calories. So energy and calories are pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what may happen as, as, you, as you back off on your concentrate, um, because with the concentrate in the grass, your horse was in a positive energy balance. When you back off on that, your horse mm-hmm. will be in a negative energy balance for a while, but you kind of want them there to yeah. lose weight. And then when they get back to that weight, that you want them to be, you can either add grain back in or you could add a fat supplement back in, depending on what, how you feel your horse's um, needs are. And what, what kind of fat supplement would you add back in? I would add back in something like um, um, uh, Equijil rice bran because you can feed one to two pounds a day. Um, one pound is 2,000 calories. So you can you can get their energy levels up pretty quickly with that, and it's also safe because it's low in starch and sugar. So if you have a horse that you know gets a little hot on grain, you can give them the Equijol instead, and that will provide the calories they need for work. And also, fat calories are a little bit safer than the starch and sugar calories for the for the gastrointestinal tract, and also for muscle health. Mm-hmm. Now, um, about how, you know, how long before you, between evaluating your horse's weight, so you say, you know, maybe, maybe I'll have you out to the farm or maybe I I have a photo and, and, and my horse, I I determine he's overweight, you know, and then I say, okay, I'm going to change my plan. I got to cut back the grain. I'm going to add this vitamin supplement. When am I going to look at him again to sort of determine whether what I'm doing is working or it's not working? Because, Reese brought up a good point about, you know, okay, your horse is overweight and then it's underweight and then it's overweight, you know, um, what, what sort of timeline are we using to, to evaluate when we're changing grains? Cause I, I, I know for sure we're not going to be doing that every three days or so. So, um, yeah. yeah, what's, what's your guidelines there? I would say anywhere from every two weeks to every four weeks. So, you know, every two weeks to once a month depending on how dramatic a change you make. Because it takes a horse a while to lose weight and it takes a horse a while to gain weight if you're doing it right. If you don't want them, just like people, you don't want them to lose and gain weight too quickly. So you should make your changes slowly. So I would recommend checking them every two weeks to a month. Yeah, that makes sense. So I have, I have a question about muzzling. <laughs> what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on muzzling? Because this is like, 
it's a huge deal. I mean, he, you know, we're here in the bluegrass and people come here and like, oh my gosh, I love this grass. Well, thoroughbreds are meant to be, go out all the time on the bluegrass, but we have a lot of trouble with warm bloods here. <laughs> so how, how do you, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, muzzling or do you bring them in or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, a lot of it depends on the horse and how they deal with being muzzled. Some horses really get upset when you muzzle them. And it also <laughs> depends a lot on the type of your muzzle. So if your horse is real upset when you muzzle them and all they're doing is walking the fence, then you might be better off to turn them out a half an hour, three times a day, bring them in in between and feed them some lower quality hay so that they have something to munch on. One thing you want to be careful that you don't do is start the digestive tract of fiber. So you don't want to put a muzzle on them um, where they can't get any much or any grass at all and leave them like that for hours and hours at a time because that will sure. cause ulcers. It's yeah. like not feeding any hay. Um, most horses get are very clever about getting grass through the muzzle and they can actually get quite a bit. So if it's slowing them down enough, um, yeah. then I think that muzzles are fine. You just have to make sure they stay on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, some are really good. Those ponies seem to be amazing. Oh, my uh, God. Houdini I've got a horse right that. now. I have a horse right now. Like, literally, oh, he, Marcus is so bad. Like, he has not figured out how to get his halters off. Like, oh, he's he's Houdini. We can't figure it out on how he's doing it. It's am- And I have yeah. duct taped the muzzle to the hall. Oh, God. It's a situation. <laughs> if anybody has... A muzzles, yeah, please send it my way because well, they're getting the you know whole what you can do? Off, I, I, I know what? that somebody um, um, braided it into the mane. Woo! Marcus, that'll yes. work because the That's... mane's a little bit longer. That you have <gasps> a little um, ring, uh-huh. uh, you put a ring on the top of the halter and then you braid that into a piece of the mane and then and that, that uh-huh. seemed to work one time on, uh, on that situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's Karen, exactly what, what I was going to recommend. You you take two braids and then you braid them together, and then that's what you put your halter through. Yeah, and it, it helps a lot. I love it. I love it. The other go. thing is weaving your your muzzle through your halter so that they can't just pull the oh, muzzle yeah. off oh, and yeah. pulling it up tight enough. A lot of people don't pull it up tight enough. You want it touching their their nose. Yeah, snug against the nose. Yeah, good point. Yeah, maybe maybe these are all. Uh, I think it's pretty tight. Oh, gosh. I was like, <laughs> I think it duct taped the other day, but then he got the whole thing off. And I was like, oh, I'm out. I don't know. So Tricky I love situations. it. I'm going to try that tomorrow. I'm going to try this tomorrow. So, well, Karen, as always, we love it when you come on the show to talk to us. And how would our listeners find you online? They can go to um, our website, which is kppusa.com. And you're fantastic. Karen is great about answering questions. So use her. She's fantastic. So Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we look forward to next month's uh, supplement tip of the month. Well, you guys have a great time. And um, I hope that you can stay out of the rain long enough to do some riding, Reese. (laughs) (laughs) We hope so. That's when the indoor does come in handy, for sure. So thank you, Karen. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. 
Well, for this week's Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week, we have our first installment of our How to Improve uh, Your Dressage Test at Every Level. Uh, We have Judge Jennifer Roth on, and she's going to talk to us about intro and training level. Well, this evening, to start off our wonderful new segment of going through the levels from a judge's perspective. We have Jennifer R. Roth, Smart R. Judge from Ohio. She's also a very well-respected FEI rider and trainer. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Good to talk to you this evening. Well, we are excited because um, we were chatting just a minute off air, and um, Philip said there in Canada, you guys don't even have Intro level. Yeah, we have and, uh, we have a, a couple of walk trot tests. Um, yeah. We were just all saying. Also, I just pulled my book in from the car, and so I was just sort of going through it. And uh, and fortunately, I don't I don't have any walk trot riders this year. So um, I was just saying that yeah, we don't we didn't adopt the intro test. So I was saying to Reese the other day, oh well, intro doesn't have canner, does it? And I guess well. This, yes. is, this is good. Yes. I need this Intro segment. Speech. I need this segment, yes. right? So it's going to be perfect for everyone. Exactly. Well, Jennifer, we are so excited to have you because clearly Philip and I are not judges by any means. <laughs> um, and we would love to just kind of get started and, uh, you know, talk about the purpose of the level, some of the th- common things that you see that are an issue. And we're going to start with the intro level. So take it away. All right. Perfect. Well, I will have to say intro is one of my favorite levels from a judging perspective because it's a place where you can be super encouraging and, you know, it always seems like the person who gets a high percentage of the show is an intro. Um, so I like to have, you know, a, a good impact on horses and riders in this place. So the whole, you know, and looking at the purpose of the level of intro, you know, it's basically to introduce the horse or the rider uh, to the sport of dressage. So it's an, a common place that you see people just wetting, you know, wetting their whistles in dressage. You know, maybe they're coming from a hunt seat background. Maybe they're coming from a Western background or they're just starting riding in general. And this is their first attempt um, at doing dressage. So it's a great place, an encouraging place for them to be. Or you see the horses that are new to dressage. Maybe it's a good place for a trainer with a young horse to just get in the ring get it some good experience, some positive show miles. Um, so it's a great place for both horses and riders new to the sport uh, to, to get in the ring for the first time. And basically it's to show an understanding of riding the horse forward with a steady tempo, you know, making sure it's not speeding up, slowing down, going, you know, fractiously around the ring. Um, a nice steady tempo into elastic contact and that the rider has independent and steady hands and a correct and balanced seat. You know, it's to show proper geometry. It's the first time, of course, that we see a 20-meter circle or a center line or a diagonal. You know, you're learning where the letters are, you know, basically trying to get from point A to point B in one one piece um, and to show, you know, correct bend in corners and in circles. So, again, it's just a great place to start out. And I love giving big scores an intro if people are showing that they're on the right right direction for how to bend their horse, what forward really is, not just running out of control around the ring. And it's also not crawling around the ring either. Um, You know, doing good transitions. You know, this is a place, you know, they insist that you do walk into the halt for your salute. Um, And that's to teach the rider not to just slam on the brakes and pull backwards, that you have to think forward into downward transitions. All the transitions are between letters. So you have plenty of time you know, to get yourself set up, to organize, to 
you know, take your time in the transition. And they're just nice, symmetrical, balanced, easy, relaxed tests um, that, you know, like I said, introduce you to some circles, some changes of direction, some walk, you know, what is free walk. And then with intro C, we have just a touch of canter. So the canter transition, you know, you do a 20-meter circle, you canter on the first quarter of the circle, and then you're trotting again before you finish the circle. So it's a great place if your horse gets anxious about going up alongside or if you have a rider that gets anxious about cantering up alongside. You know, you're cantering and then trotting in right on a curve. So it gives people and their animals a sense of control, um, even if there might not really be any, but it's a nice illusion um, to, to be able to get them into and out of the canter. You know, when the things that I see go wrong probably the most um, for intro is the bending situation. You know, most of the time I see more beginner riders probably in this level than I do, you know, more advanced riders bringing a younger horse in. Um, so it's more the beginner riders that don't maybe yet have a clear concept of what bending to the inside is. They're generally, you know, making a turn or making a circle by pulling their horse with the outside rein onto the circle instead of keeping the horse's nose looking in the direction of travel and using the leg to push them onto the appropriate, you know, bend for the circle or the corner. Um, the other thing that I very much see are geometry problems. You know, if you look at the back of an intro test, um, their collective marks are broken up a little bit differently than, than other levels. Um, they actually have a box specifically for geometry and accuracy, you know, correct oh, wow. size and shape of circles and turns. Um, I didn't know that. So it, yeah, so it, it's, you know, you it, it lot, has eh? a specific... I know, I'm like, I'm like looking at my test book too, I'm like, really? That's awesome. Really, there's, there's a place just for geometry and accuracy, so it gives us as judges a good way to really isolate and point out to the rider, you know, where their strengths and where their weaknesses were. You know, it has, you know, it's a rider's position, you know, maybe they sit beautifully, but their geometry was not really all there today, so we can tell them, you're sitting great, you're in balance. But you know what? Your circles were a little bit the wrong size or you need to be better bending on your turns or, you know, something like that. So it gives us, you know, a better opportunity to kind of direct them where we want them to go. Um, so accuracy is another big one. You know, they're not quite sure where or how big a 20-meter circle is. And I really see that issue when you can tell people are used to maybe riding in the smaller ring versus the larger ring even though the smaller ring is still 20 meters wide, the distance between the letters, you know, has varied. In a small ring, the distance from, like, K to E is 14 meters, where the distance in the large ring, the letters are 12 meters apart. So people haven't really, like, looked at the math of it and really figured it out. But, again, they kind of get in the general direction. You're bending sort of the right way. You're in balance. You kind of got from point A to point B. Good for you, cheerleader well done you know yeah Jen Jen, I just wanted to uh, bring up a quick thing is that uh, you you made a really good point and I'm really glad you say it is that judges in general want to give really good marks don't they I think people have the perception you know sometimes when they go in the ring or when they get their test back that that the judges somehow enjoy being critical or you know want are afraid to give great marks but I think uh, when you sit down and you talk to most judges, and this is great that we're, we're going to bring a few on into the show in the next few weeks, is that they're all sort of positive people um, that, that get excited about giving good marks and want to see you know, high marks on the scoreboards when, when, when you end up you know, at the end of the day sort of thing. Absolutely. You know, I'm always looking to 
you know, give that 80% and I want to do it. Um, and, and what I try to explain to my clientele, when they get the judges marks back and they're reading their test, it does seem like everything in the boxes and the remark boxes is negative. And what I have to remind people is it's not that the judge is being negative, but when we're educated as judges in this country, we are taught to explain to the rider why the mark wasn't an 8, 9, or a 10. Why did we remove 40% of your, your score and give you a 6? Why, you know, we can't say good in the box when good is an 8. We have to say, you know, good effort but lacks a little bit of bend. You know, and that's why you yeah, only got I mean, a yeah, like you said, so it's, it's more of an explanation negative. than a, than yeah, a critique exactly. or something that you should take yes. personal. You know, personally, yeah. yeah. It's not that we didn't like your saddle pad or you know your your coat was you know ill fitting. We don't really care about that, but we want you know we want to make sure that you know you spent a lot of money to get into that ring. You spent a lot of time and effort and heartache, you know, to get there, and we want you to get the most. At least I want you to get the most out of your time in there. So I want to provide a comment for every box. I want to explain to you and give you helpful pointers to be able to go home and make it better and, and have an even better experience the next time you come. But, yeah, I love giving big scores if I can. I don't often enough get to do it, but I really want to. Yeah. No, and I think that's good. And you, you briefly brought up the collected marks for intro, and I think mm-hmm. you yeah. talked about the geometry, which is – but mm-hmm. also the gates – are not a times two, which I thought was interesting, and nor is the impulsion. That's different, right, as you get into the into training level and above, correct? Um, which I have my all my tests right in front of me. I know. I, I pulled the book out because I thought I hadn't I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that those actually submission is a well, double score. So Yeah, and uh, well, because you know, submission is the thing that we want to focus the most on, I guess, in intro. Mm-hmm. That's why it's weighted twice. Um, but because, you know, again, rhythm and relaxation are the things that we look for as the, you know, the basis of our training scale. So we want to see that submissive, relaxed, you know, horse coming in the ring, enjoying its job with a relaxed, confident rider as well. And in talking about the gate score, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, sorry. I was just going to say that, um, maybe in in a moment after this thought, you could explain submission. Because I think sure. it can get it can get confusing, you know, at the different different levels, where you know, an intro submission doesn't necessarily mean nose on the ground or nose to the chest, and I think people get sort of no. super focused on that issue in, yeah, in the not, early test when it's not really that important. No, it's not, and you know, and there's been some talk about actually changing the word submission on the tests themselves. Because anytime I go to like a USDF conference or a judging thing you know, they really do want to change the word submission because it kind of gives the wrong impression. It kind of gives a breaking of the wills sort of feel right. to the word. Right. You know, it's like submitting under a, a heavy hand or a greater power. And it's not really what submission is about. It's about, you know, the horse willing and wanting to work for the rider and doing so with a quiet mind and a quiet body. So, you know, there's, like I said, been some talk about finding a different word or a different phrase that better encapsulates that idea versus, you know, cranking head down and making it do it against its will. Because that's not the point. That's not why we do this. Right. You know, maybe yeah. some, but not, not the majority of us. <laughs> no, we, we try not to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we try to avoid that. Absolutely. 
And I think talk to us about the horse sort of being on the bit at intro level. I think this is also very confusing. So can you tell us a little bit about what you think about that with the horse being on the bit? Sure. And actually, that's a very interesting thing, because in all of our education things, we're actually not allowed to talk about a horse being on the bit until we get to first level. Um, It's not a requirement. If you look at the purpose of the test, it's not a requirement. Now, are you going to get a better score? If your horse is accepting the contact with its nose slightly in front of the vertical, you know, it's at least in level balance, maybe even the pole, the highest point, sure, that's going to get you a better score. But is it absolutely a requirement? No. So, I mean, it is, does have to be in level balance. We don't want to see horses going around, you know, with their poles really low and then being downhill because, again, we're wanting to develop horses and riders that move up the levels. Um, so we want to very early on instill that idea that it has to, you know, move freely forward and in level balance, all that other stuff. Um, but it's just generally, you know, going out softly and elastically accepting, you know, a little bit of contact with the bit. But again, it's not a requirement that it's nose beyond the vertical or slightly in front of the vertical. Um, you can still do quite well. And I've had many clients do quite well with their horses, as long as they're steady in the hands. And they're going out to the bridle and they're moving forward and they're bending the correct direction. We'll intro all day long, you know. So, and that's, again, we're trying to instill basics that will carry on through the rest of the level. Not people trying to teach people to seesaw their horses' faces to drag their noses in because they think that's what the judges want to see. We don't. We don't want to see that force behind it, you know. So, yeah. we'd rather see yeah. a soft, elastic, forward, relaxed, correctly bent ride than a nose cranked in chomping horse unhappy sort of situation does that answer the question yeah no that's fantastic yeah that's a great no that's really good well everybody are we ready to sort of move on to training level we're moving on the levels yeah i think we're ready yeah for it so jennifer talk to us so now we're changing gears we're up up the next rung uh so what's the purpose of training level okay so the purpose of training level is to and this is something, again, they changed the test a couple years, you know, what, 2015? And um, they revamped the purposes of the test, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, so they added in the whole idea, the purpose of training levels to confirm that the horse demonstrates correct basics. Now, that's new. And I think that's a very good distinction to make, um, that the horse is supple and moves freely forward in a clear rhythm with a steady tempo, accepting contact with the bed. So, again, it's that idea that, you know, correct basics of thinking rhythm, relaxation, bending, stretching to the hand, you know, being eager to going and finding the contact with a relaxed mind and body. You know, again, you know, just a horse that you can see is receptive to, you know, coming in, doing its job, you know, happy to help the rider, you know, going around the ring in a, in a clear and steady contact and, being all squishy and happy. So now, squishy what, is not a real dressage term. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> right. Squishy and happy. We like it. So what are, what are yeah. some of the requirements movement-wise, and, and now we're talking uh, uh, training level? Sure. I mean, it's, again, basic walk-trot canner. Um, no circles are smaller than 20 meters in both the trot and canner. All the training level tests have, you know, walk-trot canner, obviously, both directions. Um, they removed the stretchy circle out of training one. And Thank I think the reason the Lord. They... <laughs> <laughs> you're not Sorry. the only one that thinks that way. 
Yeah, it, it was to make the gap between intro and training a little friendlier. Um, people got a little, you know, felt that throwing the reins away if they weren't quite ready was a little daunting. Um, so, you know, removing the stretchy circle kind of gives it a little bit of a warmer, fuzzier feel, per se. Um, but the stretchy circle is a requirement in both the training two and training three. Um, and again, there are no real movements. It's just, you know, cantering a, a circle each direction. You know, um, training three has that loop, the loop, the gentle loop from the corner letter to the X and back. And that's just to demonstrate clear changes of bend that the horse is laterally supple. Um, you know, you go across the diagonal. Again, the walk um, is a medium walk and a free walk. And your halt, again, can be done through the walk. And I actually encourage my clients to take a couple steps of walk into and out of the halt. You're not, you know, you don't have to slam into it. It's not a requirement that you go trot halt and, you know, halt trot. Take that step or two of walk to settle the horse and let it relax into it. Because, again, you want to be thinking forward into a halt transition um, and then letting it take a walk step or two coming back into the trot. So it's, it's a smoother performance. Keep things fluid. Um, yeah, and again, it's just a, on the bit is not a requirement. It's level balance. It's accepting contact with a bit, moving freely forward. Again, it's just the idea of not being constrained. Of course, if you want to get that 80%, you know, your, your horse is probably going to have to be on the bit and be, you know, a decent mover, a good mover. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not a requirement. But you have to be bending to the inside, you know, to get a good score. Your transitions have to look fluid. Um, having a horse that is, you know, appropriate mover for dressage is always a good thing. As a judge, where the first thing we look at is the quality of your horse. Our score starts with the quality of your horse. So if you have an eight mover, you're going to start with a baseline eight. Now, if you do something fantastically, then your score can go up. Um, or if you do something not so fantastically, your score is going to go you know, down a bit. But if you're only starting with a five or a six mover, then it's harder to get you know, on those some of the movements that require a good mover, you know, a, a higher score. Um, but again, training level is just a place where, you know, horses and riders are just getting used to the idea. Um, and actually, the gait score nowadays, through all the, at least, you know, that I have here, intro training and first level, the gait score is only one. So it's, it's only times one. It's not a double coefficient anymore. Um, so it's not as heavily weighted as it used to be. That's something else they changed in 2015. Um, but submission and impulsion are double coefficients. And then they, the rider's position and seat is also a collective mark, and the correct and effective use of aids of the rider is also a collective. Those are each times one as well. And can it. you talk so, to us a little bit about, about corners? Because there's no, sure. there's no real marks for corners, but I think they're very important to a test and to the overall flow and... And I think that the judges do take a look about how you're riding your corners. Absolutely. Um, so what we look at for corners, you know, don't come in and try to do a Grand Prix corner. You know, you don't try to go do that 90-degree turn because at training level, probably your horse isn't well enough balanced just yet. Or, you know, maybe the rider doesn't have a completely clear idea how to really balance the horse between the inside aids and the outside aids. So it's actually going to throw you more off balance. So when we talk about corners, they should be equal to the smallest size circle in your test. So what is the smallest 
size circle or half circle you do in training level. Well, it's actually the final turn down center line. It's 10 meters. So that final turn down center line, that half of a 10 meter arc circle to your center line is the smallest figure in a training level test. So your corners should be probably no deeper than a quarter of a 10 meter circle, if that makes any sense. Um, And something else that, speaking of corners, something else that I really see a lot of in all the levels are when people are making a circle either at A or at C, they forget that once you've started your circle, you do not go into your corners. So many times people will go into that corner after they've started their test or go into a corner or started their test, started their circle, and or, you know, whatever. You don't have corners on circles. So really look at the geometry of what a 20-meter circle is supposed to look like at A and at C and know, you know, where you're supposed to hit the rail. If you're doing a 20-meter circle, say at A, you know, do the math. You have to hit the rail 10 meters up the long side. So your distance from your corner to your first letter is 6 meters. So the distance between the first letter and the second letter is 12 meters. So we have to hit 10 meters. So you're going past the first letter and then another 4 meters. So a third of the way between the first letter and the second letter, the corner letter and the second letter, is where you want to hit the wall just briefly and then come off the wall again. So really think about the math when you're writing your test. You know, it's, it's too easy to give away valuable points that are unnecessary if you just thought about, you know, how far up the rail should I hit and look to that place and ride to that place. So don't ride corners on circles is the mantra. Yeah. And but, but remember to ride size, your corner after, after yes. your corner, like after your, your circle is finished, then you should typically ride or before you start it. Yeah. Those are the times to ride the corners. So I think you do have to think about that. Yeah. And corners, you know, corners are really important because it sets up your long side. So if you're, it's appropriate for you to ride a corner. Um, remember, your corner is a place to rebalance your horse. It's a place to set up for the next thing that's coming. So don't skirt the corner because you're in a hurry to get out of the, the ring um, because you're nervous or whatever. Use the corner as a place to set up the next movement. Rebalance your horse to the long side. You know, get the horse's attention back on you. Establish your bend. You know, I, I really like the corner, especially coming from the medium walk back to the um, or the free walk back to the medium walk because I like to really use that corner get nice and deep in that corner because it adds extra strides and gives you a little bit more time uh, to set up for that transition from the medium walk back to your working trot Um, but yeah corners are a very important place that people often fail to utilize and it comes back to haunt them because they're not as prepared for what comes next in the test for sure Right. So I, I have one question for on the, the stretchy yeah. circle. The stretchy circle uh, gets people all the time. Could you talk yes, to us a little does. bit about that stretchy circle? <laughs> Absolutely. We could talk for <laughs> days on that stretchy circle. Yeah. The horrible. So yes, we could have a whole segment on the stretchy circle. But but a brief. What are you looking for in the stretchy circle? Okay, well, no problem. And actually, interestingly enough, the stretchy circle, when it first appears in training two, is not a double coefficient. It is a double coefficient in training three, but it's not a double coefficient in, in training two, which is nice. So, so that, again, people get the idea without maybe getting crucified um, if they're not quite doing it right. So, you know, what we're looking for, again, people pull out your test, read your test, not the, the test in Winnie Widgets or whatever, but actually get the physical test. Because if you look 
at the test sheet, you get back right next to each movement or box. There are those directive ideas and what, you know, the judges are looking for. So when you look at the stretchy circle, you know, a forward and downward stretch over the back into a light contact, maintaining balance and quality of trot, bend, shape and size of circle, and, and willing calm transitions both into and out of the stretch. So a thing that I see all the time is people throwing their reins at their horse and praying that it works out okay. And that's really <laughs> not the way that, you know, you should be doing it. Again, this is a place to go back into the idea of the purpose of the level of training level to confirm that the horse demonstrates correct basics. Now, a correct basic, you know, is that the horse is seeking the contact. And what we're looking for is that when you relax the reins, if you give it a little bit longer rein, it, the horse still seeks the hand. It stretches forward and downward looking for you. And we want you to keep a light contact. We want you to still be functional in the stretchy's trot. You still should be bending it. You still should be half-halting it. You should still be keeping communication going with your horse. All too often, like I said, I see people come to the stretchy circle. They throw the reins at it. They pray it works out. The horse speeds up, looks to the outside, you know, sort of puts its head down, and then it looks, does a wilderness alert and is looking off into other places in the show ring or the warm-up for its friend, whatever. And, you know, it didn't have to be that way. So keep a light contact plays a bit, encourage the horse to stretch forward and downward, you know, make sure the tempo doesn't vary, it can't speed up, it can't slow down. Um, but like I said, the thing that I see the most of is just throwing the reins at it. Don't throw the reins at it. No. You know, feed it slowly oh, right. out. So, and, and also something about the stretchy circle I think people don't understand is that break it up into quadrants. So there are four quadrants of the stretchy circle. The first quadrant, the first quarter, is to develop the stretch, all right? So you have that first quarter of the stretchy circle to start to give it the reins, get it down into that nice stretch. Um, and the second and third quadrants are to demonstrate the stretchy circle. So the second half of the circle, you know, you, you're, or the second and third quadrant, you're demonstrating the stretchy circle. And then the last quarter of the stretchy circle, you're reorganizing the horse. So you're starting to pick it up. By the time, you know, when you hit the center line, reapproaching, you know, um, the side letter, for instance, you should be shortening your reins and putting the horse back together. It's not wait till you get back to the letter to pick the horse up. It needs to be back to the letter, back together by the time you hit the letter. And that's something everybody seems to forget as well. So break up your circle into four quadrants and utilize it as such. Oh, well, that, nice. that, that's I very helpful. It. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm like, that's really helpful for me, too, because that's a great way to think about that. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, thank you Hang so on, much. Hang on. I have one more question, Reese. I have one more question. Oh, oh. Philip has a question. Me, Phil. Go, Phil. Last word, Phil. <laughs> Last question. It's a quick one. Um, why do we have coefficients? Talk to us a little bit about the coefficient of two, because it seems to always be in the walk, you yes. know, all the way up to Grand Prix, I think. Yep, yeah. it is. Um well, for a couple of reasons. Well, so in different places in different tests, they put the double coefficients because those are the places that they want to stress importance. Now, the walk is a double coefficient. You know, some people will say it's the most important gait. Um, some people will say it's only because we don't see very much of it, so we have to weight it, you know, times two because we see a lot of trout, we see a lot of canter. Um, we don't see a lot of walk. And, and I think it's a combination of both. You know, it's an extremely important game. And, you know, also we don't see very much of it. So it's always heavily weighted in all the tests. 
Um, and then in all the other tests, you know, you have double coefficients in different places because they wanted to stress that area. Um, it's just to draw attention to places that the test writers and, you know, for the basics and purposes of the test that are important. So, like in training one, um, you know, the first circle to the left is a double coefficient. The free walk is a double coefficient. And then the right track circle is a coefficient. So, double coefficient. So, they want people to focus on that. And then it changes up a little bit, um, like for training three. You know, they want to stress a different area. Um, so, it's the stretchy circle and it's the free walk in training three. So, you know, they just, it's to show importance. It's to make people pay attention. You know, they think yeah, that so it's, just, you know, I they just make to, it worth yeah people to practice those things because yeah. they are double important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are doubly important. So, you know, and the same thing with um, behind, you know, the collective mark, you know, impulsion and submission are both double coefficients. Gates, rider's position, and correct and effective use of aid, those are only single coefficients. So, again, they're stressing the importance of impulsion and submission. Um, again, we don't like that word anymore, but impulsion and submission um, because they're really important. The other stuff you can, you know, vary just a little bit. We hope it's all good. We want to give everybody eight, but if it's not, then we want to be able to explain to you why. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> well, Jennifer, thank you so much for doing our first segment on um, our going through the tests in intro and training level. How would our listeners find you online? Uh, yeah, well, I'm always on Facebook. I'm kind of addicted to that one. Uh, I'm Jennifer R. Ross. Um, there are two Jennifer Ross, so I'm the Ohio one, the lowly R, small R. Um, but Jennifer R. Ross on Facebook and my um, barn, my LLC is Milestone Farms, also on Facebook. So feel free to come and like my page. It's a bunch awesome. of cute pictures of ponies and ribbons. Um, awesome. And then... <laughs> Um, I, of course, you can email me. I'm revamping my website, so it is not operational currently because I was horrible and hadn't updated it since 2013, and a lot has happened since then. So <laughs> I've been a better person and farmed that out to somebody who's not technologically impaired like I am. So I will <laughs> hopefully have a website up and going here soon that people will actually find useful. But probably Facebook is the best way to, to find me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much, guys. It's been fun. This tip brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, the shoulder relief girth that Reese and Philip both love. And here's why. The saddle fit solution you have been waiting for is finally here. TotalSaddleFit.com is proud to introduce the shoulder relief girth. This strategically shaped girth actually moves the girth line of your saddle back over one inch, thereby freeing your horse's shoulders from the saddle. Traditional girths pull saddles up against a horse's shoulders and often over the top of the shoulders. The shoulder relief girth's recessed ends allow for the billets to buckle into the girth farther back to give your horse unparalleled freedom of motion. We are so certain that your saddle will fit better and your horse will be more comfortable that for a limited time we are offering a 30-day, 110% money-back guarantee. If you are not totally satisfied with your shoulder relief girth, send it back for a full refund plus 10% of the purchase price. Don't wait. Order now for the best saddle fit solution available. At TotalSaddleFit.com. Visit TotalSaddleFit.com. 
Well, we want to give a shout out to Nikki Lambert. Uh, she This comes from the Horse Radio Network auditors page. And Philip and I get to be on this page. And wow, it is everybody has such a great time. We and get a lot of love from this page, which is why we're always looking at page. it, right? So. Oh, it's been, I know it makes me vote. I'm like, wow, this is great. <laughs> uh, but we also get some comments and we also get, um, you know, some ideas. So it's really cool. The auditor, you can become an auditor, go to the Horse Radio Network. Uh, it helps keep the programming going here at the Horse Radio Network. And it's really cool. But this comes from Nikki Lambert and it's actually to multiple hosts, Jamie Jennings, Helena, Wendy, Reese and Philip, and the rest of the hosts and guest hosts are beyond fantastic. I know I'm not alone in saying how much we enjoy what you do and offer to the horse, horse world. You rock. Well, Nikki, thanks so much for making our day. And Philip and I love yeah, our day, uh, for sure. coming on. So thanks so much for making our day. We love that. And we always love coming on and um, enjoying spending our Thursday evening with you guys here at the Horse Radio Network. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on, on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter. Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. The best way to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>